We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When it's too tough for them, it's just right for us. Where would you rather be than right here, right now? The Rock Pile Report with Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. The Bills make me wanna yeah! Third and nine, here comes another pressure from the secondary. And the pass is incomplete, intended for Dobson, but the flag comes down. Pass interference, defense, number 24, spot foul, automatic, first down. Third and ten, again, New England has a timeout left. Free runner, Brady gets rid of it, complete right with the first down, inside the ten, and into the end zone. The missed tackle turns into a Patriots touchdown. 34 caught on the run by Leonis McKelvin who lost the football on a Monday night Foxborough again. But this one is knocked out of bounds after possession was exchanged. That's, that's a good football team. They deserve to win. We, we know right now we just, we just got to find a way to get better. Each man get better. Each coach get better. And when we do, we'll see if it's a, uh, a different outcome. But at the end of the day, they find ways to win. And uh, that's what championship teams do. And we're not at that level right now, but uh, I can promise you one thing. We're going to work our tails off to get there. Bill's Mike Tirico of ESPN and Rex Ryan's post-game comments from BuffaloBills.com. And you're right, Rex. After 10 games, I can firmly agree with you that the 2000 Buffalo Bills do not look like a championship caliber team. That is correct because the 2000 Buffalo Bills were not a championship team. God. I don't the, the the fact that you went there just hurts me. It hurts my feelings. I don't even want to talk about it. It's my job to listen to you <laughs> and take upon the recording responsibilities of this and I heard you say the 2000 Buffalo Bills. So <laughs> Welcome to the Rock Pile Report everybody. I'm Drew Gear, Buffalo Bills season ticket holder. Sitting in section 200, row 7, seat 16, and I've got Chris Kruger over here producing. It was a hell of a game. It was a hell of a game. I mean, the story of the night is execution. I put it on Facebook halfway through the game, even though I promised myself I wasn't going to jump over social media. And the only point I could make is that before the game, I was driving to the pizzeria with a buddy of mine. And I said, the only thing that's going to win us this game is execution. New England is a machine. When they execute as, they, as they're capable of, no one can beat them. But if you can get them on the ropes, you just have to out-execute them, and you can win. You can win football games. And unfortunately, we did the complete opposite. And on the better team won that game. There's no two ways about it. I went into the Monday night's game, and we'll touch on it later. Based on what happened on Sunday during all of the games and who won and lost, I was already predicting a loss for Buffalo against New England. And based on what happened on Sunday with some of the other games, Oakland and uh, the Jets losing, we'll touch on that later, I was fine with the loss. I was like, I think it's be too. I think it's be opposite because you were like raging Monday night based see, on see, based on Twitter and <laughs> Facebook. I'm like, dude, it is the Patriots. Okay, but 
First off, I think that's the hockey fan in you talking because there's never an acceptable loss. I'm sorry if you're if you're a fan of your football team. There's never there are no such thing as silver linings. You a, a win's a win, a loss is a loss. It and might you pick up the it might be different in football based on NHL is an 82 game season and football is a 16 game season. Absolutely, every game matters, and we dropped a doozy of one. We, we dropped. I think what makes it so frustrating is that we dropped a game that was firmly within our grasp if we had just executed better. I mean, we can start off our recap right here. Tyrod Taylor. A lot of talk this week on uh, WGR and different media outlets about Taylor's contract and what it means for the Bills and the fact that he's 5-2 and two as a starter. That's nice. These are all fantastic things. I remember another guy who had five wins in a season for us, and everyone thought that he was the answer, and we gave him a $60 million contract because of it. And he now quarterbacks the New York Jets. The type of game that I saw from Tyrod Taylor. Well, let's break down the numbers. He went 20 for 20 to 36, 233 yards and a fumble. You can put that on paper, and it looks good next to Brady's numbers. I mean, Brady went 20 to 39 for 277 and a touchdown. By Brady's standards, that's a terrible game. And if you compare him, you think, oh, Tyrod didn't have a bad night. But you look at the game, and you see the passes that he missed. He looked like E.J. Manuel. When I saw EJ warming up on the sideline and everyone I was watching the game with was like, oh, no, we're doomed, I didn't think anything would change because he made the same passes EJ Manuel would make. I would expect that kind of play from him. I mean, it played a role in our failure, and it's just inexcusable. Tyrod falls into the same category as some of our past quarterbacks, and that is there's stop gaps until we get – until we draft somebody. That's like what Drew Bledsoe was. You know, we had Drew Bledsoe and we drafted J.P. Lossman. So well, let's play Bledsoe until we get Lossman ready. And, you know, then Lossman sucked. And then I think Kelly Holcomb was another, you know, uh, stopgap quarterback just until we find somebody else. And that's exactly what Tyrod Taylor is. I don't know. I, I don't know what he is yet. He's still got some games left to prove himself, but I wouldn't want to hand a fat contract to a guy who can't win me a meaningful game. You had two shots where games are within your grasp, and you're personally responsible for losing both of them. You threw a pick to end the first one when we were trying to make a late rally. In this game, you just threw all over the field. You were inaccurate. You couldn't get into a rhythm with your receivers, and you didn't attempt a single deep pass down the middle of the field the entire game. Go check the stats. You traded up for a player like Sammy Watkins, and you've got that. You've got a guy of that talent. Good, good quarterbacks in the NFL find their best players. They find a way to get the hand the ball in the hands of their best players. If you're the Falcons, you're Matt Ryan. You throw into double coverage to Julio Jones because you trust Julio Jones to go get the ball. If you're Ben Roethlisberger and you see Antonio Brown double covered on the sideline, you're still going to throw it every now and again because you have to trust that you ha- you can put the ball where it needs to be put and that your receiver is talented enough to make a play on it. Instead, you've got Sammy Watkins, who just for whatever reason, Tyrod doesn't trust himself enough to throw cont- to throw passes in any contested area. He has to be open for him to throw it. Or he has to be in a position where he has no other choice. That's not acceptable. That is not going to get us into the playoffs. I mean, his play was a gut shot to our offense. Look at the quarterbacks you just spoke of. Roethlisberger and Matt Ryan. They are way better than Tyrod Taylor. Obviously, but but that's my point. If you're a talented enough quarterback to deserve a contract, then you know how to get the balls to your playmakers. You don't underthrow multiple times. You don't underthrow LaShawn McCoy. You don't. I think he underthrew Chris Hogan. He, oh, he grossly underthrew Chris Hogan. Even though that play was straight up face guarding, I mean, it, it should have been a flag. But even then, you put the ball to where it can be caught easily by your receiver. It doesn't matter what the defensive player does in that position. Because if you put it in the right spot, then it's not face guarding. It's pass interference, and we get a flag, and we got the ball on the three-yard line. At the end of the day, he didn't do enough to win us the game, and that's... That was the thing. That was my biggest takeaway from this entire experience here with this. Also, 
losing John Miller, I guess I didn't realize how poor our the right side of our offensive line was until John Miller went out. As soon as he left, our rushing attack sputtered. I mean, we ended up getting we ended up getting a field goal on the drive where he got hurt, and after that, they struggled to get any kind of a, a rushing attack going to the right hand side the way they had been before. Chantrell Henderson and I mean Craig Urbic's not good, but he put an exclamation point on it for me. Probably rather have a tackling dummy in place of uh, Urbic. He's terrible. I would say to the front office going into next year's draft, that's a sneaky need for us. A need that wouldn't jump off the paper at you, but we need to get another guard, another tackle. Even if we keep incognito, I'm going to want to see them go out and address Chantrell Henderson's position because I don't think he's talent. I don't think he's talented enough to be anything more than a swing tackle in the NFL. We might see a whole a whole redo of our offensive line next year because Cordy Glenn's a free agent. Is he played a good game though? Statistically, he had a great night. I mean, Chandler Jones. He kept Chandler Jones clean for a large portion of that uh, of our night, and I'm I'm okay with that. Next year, our starting five up front might be Wood, Incognito, and insert others. My third takeaway: our defense was solid. We could not have asked for a better. I mean, this this is probably the best defensive performance the Bills have put on in Gillette Stadium in the last ten years. Argue with me. I I can't. The the play where Stephon Gilmore goes up and just straight up robs Tom Brady of a long completion, <clears throat> just gets up in the air to knock down a pass. He's he's going out there and trying to earn his contract extension. Between him and Darby. Those guys are killing it right now. They really are. We have two shutdown corners and, with Darby and Gilmore. And that's going to be a huge portion of what helps this team if we're going to get anywhere this year. that It's going to be with defense. It's going to be just like it was last season. We're going to do it with defense and running. And you can, you can see more of it. I mean, think about this. The last drive of the first half, they couldn't stop them from marching down the field. But this is Tom Brady you're talking about. I mean, I, was, I knew that it was coming eventually, and I blame Dan Carpenter for that. You hit that field goal. That's a routine NFL-caliber field goal. If you were a college kicker, I can forgive you for missing a 40-something yarder. If you're kicking at the NFL level, you need to consistently hit those. By not hitting it, you left the door open for him to march down the rest of the field and score a touchdown because they're an undefeated team and one of the best in football. But if you look at how the rest of the game went, they were all over Tom Brady. I mean, at one point, we had 10 quarterback hits and one sack. I mean, that's not a Brady performance. Brady gets the ball out quickly. He prides himself on being able to you know, just diagnose the defense and call the right play, get the ball out fast, and avoid contact. But without his playmakers, he's not. he can't get it. There's no one getting open for him, and he's absorbing a lot of punishment because of it. That's what kept us in the game. That and the play by our cornerbacks. And their injuries during the game. Well, I don't even want to... Amendola got injured. Dobson got injured. Mm. Dobson ended up coming back, though. The other thing I think was a huge boon to us was the fact that we came into this game... We came into this game knowing that they were shorthanded in the backfield. James White scored a pair of touchdowns, but that was from close in. The fact is, is they came in with LeGarrette Blunt, who has gutted this defense in the past. But if you look at the numbers, the Patriots apply, uh, they attempted 22 rushes. And out of those, only six of those went outside the tackles. The Patriots got outcoached in that aspect because they came into this game thinking they could just gut us like they have in the past with LeGarrette Blunt, straight up the middle. And instead, they ran straight into the teeth of the Bills' defense and we were up to the task of stopping them. And that kept us in third and four, third and five, third and seven territory for them all night. And that's what led to a lot of our time of possession and keeping the numbers even in that aspect and keeping them off the scoreboard for as long as we did. Speaking of running backs, LaShawn McCoy continues to prove his value. How the f*** do you trade LaShawn McCoy? Uh, EDP. After watching this game, Eagles fans, I mean, after watching the last few games, Eagles fans must be sick. He, uh, McCoy looks like he's 100% healthy. 
and right now his ability is indisputable. I mean, that touchdown run was impressive because he outran the pack at the front of the line, and then just when guys caught up to him, he found a way to muscle his way into the end zone. We're going to need to ride him here if we have any shot at the postseason. That drive irritated the hell out of me. I'm watching that game on the computer on Watch ESPN so I can get the audio for our awesome podcast and it just shuts down. And I went to our Twitter account and I searched Watch ESPN and it was a global outage. And I couldn't get it back the rest of the game on the computer, but I was able to get it on my tablet. And it cut out a couple plays before McCoy's touchdown. I didn't get to see it. I had to wait for the video to be uploaded to NFL.com so I could see what he did. I'm sorry, I lost you there for a second. Um, Yeah, Drew lost, did not listen to anything I just said because he's focused. We have the Sabres game going on in the background. I'll be honest, that wasn't even the Sabres game. I was watching that uh, super cliched Viagra commercial with the one, like the MILF in her mid-40s with the blue and white jersey on, tossing the football and looking all seductively into the camera. She just got me. My bad. Yeah, got, this is, we're in a little bit of a different setup here because of uh, Drew's apartment getting uh, ripped apart by uh, <laughs> by the people uh, that small Kubota tractor. Yeah, that are renovating <laughs> the outside of his apartment. They uh, we had to run for cover, so I am now in the basement of my girlfriend's house. Yeah, so we're at. His, there's a bar down here. Yeah, there is a bar. There's a bar down here, so I'm pretty much... I'm actually questioning why I don't do it down here all the time. This is a, ni- a nice setup. Some of the some of the cords that are, are being run for the setup is a little tight, but it is a good setup. You know, you know why it is a good... I'll tell you. Well, how about this? You tell me the one reason why this is a great, a great setup here at your girlfriend's. I'm looking for one answer. I'm. I can think of a dozen, but none of them are kosher. There's. The there's only one. Res- What's that? One response. Why don't you tell me? There's going to be no police sirens. <laughs> the nightly police sirens. Oh, I was even joking around with her about that earlier. It's hysterical. In any event, I'm going to close up my recap with one point, and somebody somewhere's got to get in the ring with me on this. Where the hell is our fullback? You went out in the off season and you got Jerome Felton. And I understand that you may have come into this game as some part of your offensive genius game, your game plan, to confuse them by putting both Carlos Williams and LaShawn McCoy in the field. But but he saw 10 snaps the whole game. You brought this guy in. He's a former pro bowler. He's paved the way for Adrian Peterson to have the, the best seasons of his career. And you bring him in here to ride pine. What about third down and one? In games when you need to get a push, you, this guy better be on the friggin' field. He's already complaining about his playing time. Do you think he's? it's, it's not going to motivate him if you just leave him out there on the sideline? What about third and one? We, had, we throw in all the giant people, and we have Felton block for Carlos Williams, and we run some kind of like a sweep play to the left, and we get stuffed and punt in, I think it was the third or fourth quarter. I don't know, but it's it's stupid, and they got to fix it ASAP. I'm sick of seeing it. And that brings us to our weekly hero and zero. This week, my hero, and it killed me to do it, is Rex Ryan. So that is why I am better than everyone in the world. Kiss my suck my everyone. I know I've roughed up Rex, you know, a lot over the past few weeks, but I was flat out impressed by his game plan. If the offensive side of the ball could have executed the way we were supposed to and the plays that were called, we would have won the game. He clearly did a lot of film study, and he came into this game far more prepared than I gave him credit for. It definitely showed. I, the defensive performance between week two and Monday night was night and day. I think he's finally getting a grasp as far as what this team is capable of on the defensive side of the ball, and he's finally him, him and Dennis, Dennis Thurman are finally getting together to put this team in a position to succeed from the defensive side. You know what was a fantastic matchup? for us on Monday night was watching Jerry Hughes just destroy um, Can I think his name's Cannon. 
Mm-hmm. He was Marcus Cannon. Marcus yeah. Cannon. He was blowing by Cannon, time after time, and. Even if Brady had gotten the ball out, Brady was on his ass. Mm-hmm. They hit him a lot that game. And we've got our zero of the week. And unfortunately, it's i got to give it to Tyrod Taylor. Pull this man! <laughs> yeah, there was no reception for T-Mobile out there. There was no reception. You're talking about a night when our... <sighs> Our first meaningful win in Gillette Stadium was up for grabs, and he did everything he could to give it away. Underthrown balls, off-target balls. I mean, that was the soup du jour the entire night. That's what he was serving up. And its I think we've seen his ceiling as a pocket passer. Without his mobility, the Patriots have done it twice now. They keep him in the pocket. They don't let him scramble. They maintain pocket integrity because they want him standing there in the pocket, not moving around, not confusing their cornerbacks and safeties or buying time with his legs. And it won them the game. And I'm, I bet you that defenses far more capable than theirs are going to take notice that that's how you beat Tyrod Taylor. Uh, Jeremy White uh, mentioned it this morning in the first segment on Howard Simon show and WGR. He had stated that Tyrod Taylor has to win some games from the pocket, even though he's a running quarterback, and you can just look at somebody like a Russell Wilson who is a running quarterback, but he can win the game from the pocket if he needs to. Yeah, well, for another week, I've got, second week in a row, I've got an honorable mention for LVP. And this week, it goes to your boy, Leotis McKelvin. You suck, you jackass. Who lets this clown near the football on a punt return during this game? I get it. It's a different coaching staff. You know, it's not the same group that he burnt on his last fumble on Monday night in New England to cost us a football game. But damn it all. I couldn't even get pissed or throw things. I just burst out laughing when it happened because that was one of the billsiest plays that I've seen us make all season. And of course it would be Leotis McKelvin in Gillette on Monday Night Football. And he muffed the next punt he had, too. Keep him off the field. But don't let's not draw male genitalia on his lawn. We, I was going to say, I think the only difference this time is that no one was motivated enough to go spray paint a wiener in his grass. But Jesus, Leotis. But that that other the last Monday night, Marcus game, Thigpen was trolling the Buffalo Bills on Twitter today. Do we signed him? The kick returner? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's back. Well, he should be. Well, why why the hell did you cut that guy in the first place? What was Denarius? My last relevant game was three years ago more. What the hell is he going to bring you? Remember, he's the jackass that fumbled the ball in his first game in our uniform. God. Sorry, guys. I'm, I'm, I'm eating peanuts over here and sucking down beers. I, I've had it. It's Thanksgiving Eve. It's Thanksgiving Eve. Let's all be thankful that the Bills are 5-5. Five and five. Yeah, be thankful that they're still in the mix for playoffs. And speaking of playoffs, that brings us to our segment on the AFC playoff picture. All right, so that lo- the loss to the Patriots dropped us to eighth place in the AFC. Oh, no! We suck again! <laughs> Considering the state of the conference, though, it could be worse. But right now, our margin for error is slim. I mean, we really have to pull our heads out of our, collectively pull our heads out of our asses if we have any hope of, you know, making the postseason in 2015, 2016. Our schedule says we can. Let's break down the entire playoff picture here for the AFC. Well, you just look at it. I mean, it's still three groups of teams. And this is more so, more clearly defined than I think it ever has been in the past. To top everything off, you, you've got the top dogs in the division. Here's the deal. I'm the best there is, plain and simple. I mean, I wake up in the morning, I piss excellence. Okay, so the conference, obviously headlined by the Patriots, they're still perfect. This week, they have a chance to clinch our division. All they have to do is win, and the Jets have to lose. Wait, so does that mean that Belichick puts Brady on the bench for the next five games? If you're a smart coach, you do. Here's the hoping he's not. Still can root for that fluke, that fluke getting out of the shower toe injury. <laughs> <laughs> then you get the Broncos and the Bengals at eight and two. 
the Broncos, that injury to Peyton Hurts, but Osweiler didn't look awful against the Bears. He didn't. It was a close game, and I think he left some plays out there on the field, but that's his first start of his career. I think that with the support team that they've built around him and the defense that they've got, they can win. They can still win some football games, and we're going to need them to because that's not a team that we want to see fall down into the wild card category. We need them to run away with their division. The Bengals, they – I always want to write them off as a joke because I don't think Andy Dalton's a great quarterback. I think he's serviceable. But I'll tell you that I was impressed by the way that they responded to going down in that Arizona game. That game was a game until the late in the fourth quarter, which is way more than I expected going into it. So, I mean, they've got a weak schedule. The division's banged up. I don't see any reason that they can't just run away with the NFC North. I really don't. The Colts. Five and five. It's interesting though because, as a division, as a division leader, they're tied with the team behind them. They're the only division winner without a winning a, a winning record. Think about this: our win over the Colts might actually come into play here if the Texans can pull their together and you know make a push for that division lead. If the Texans win the division and the Bills can win enough games here and the Colts lose enough, that I mean that that win over them gives us some weight in that wild card race. Now when it comes to the division winners, assuming Buffalo gets in and by say I gets in, they get that last spot. Right now that's looking at a Broncos or or Bengals game for the Bills. Mm-hmm. Who would you rather see in the playoffs, the Bengals or the Broncos. The Broncos. I'd rather go to Mile High Stadium and play. The Bengals have already proven that they can put up a lot of points, and they their defense isn't great, but they're not terrible. See, I would rather take Cincinnati based on their playoff history. Uh, they haven't they haven't won a playoff game with their current head coach. I'll take a quarterback that's a few shots, a few a few good hits away from Riding Pine. I'll take that every day. No, I don't. I even with the with the Bengals making the playoffs, I don't see them getting out of the first round. Always go with history, and that brings us to the middle of the pack. Dogs, I want you to go home. Get off my bumper! Every team in this category is neck and neck. It's, I mean, literally one win separates the team at the top from the team at the bottom. One win. That's how slim the margin for error is here for the Buffalo Bills. It's all headed up by the Steelers. Six and four, currently in fifth. I mean, you take you take a look at their offense, and as long as Ben Roethlisberger is their starting quarterback, they should be in the wild card fight until the bitter end. I, can, can you argue with that? No, because they got Big Ben. If you have a good quarterback, you should be in the playoffs. Well, I'll tell you this: out of all the teams fighting for a wild card spot, the thing that makes it interesting is that they've got the toughest schedule out of all the teams still fighting for that spot. There's six games left in the season for every team. Well, not every team, but... I thought buys are... I thought they're done with buys. I think buys are done. So there's six... Six games? six games. Six games remaining. Every team's... You know, I kind of run through the last four. The last four games that the Steelers... The next four games that the Steelers have are against Cincinnati, who they've already lost to once this season, and that was with Le'Veon Bell. They play Seattle away. That's they, on Sunday at 4 o'clock. Everywhere on CBS, unless you live in San Francisco, you're screwed. They play Indy, who's fighting for their lives for a playoff spot. And their offense seems like they finally figured out how to score points. Now how far away is that Indianapolis game? Is that in three weeks? I believe it is. Well, that, that, that'll, that'll be a game if Andrew Luck gets back from injury. And then they've also got to play Denver. Again, that would be a game if Peyton gets back. Because even though Peyton doesn't have an arm, I still think he's smart enough to win a football game. Yeah, so out of all the teams still fighting for these wildcard spots, they have what amounts to the most difficult slate of games coming up. So it'll be interesting to see how it pans out. And I think a lot of it, I think a lot of it really hinges on Ben Roethlisberger's health. 
I mean, if he can stay healthy, I have no, as much as I hate to say it, I have no doubt that they can score enough points to keep pace with almost any team. So, then you're, you're talking about the Kansas City Chiefs, who are currently sitting in sixth. They get to play the Buffalo Bills this week at home. You wouldn't know it because they're the Chiefs, but they're fifth in scoring. Think about that. They're the fifth highest scoring team in the NFL. Yeah, it's been helped by two blowout wins against trash like Detroit and San Diego. But their defense is legit. And they've got a soft schedule down the stretch. Think about it. Their next four games, they play Buffalo. They play Oakland. They play San Diego again, this time at home. And then they get to go up against the Flackleless Ravens. They are a legitimate threat to cock block us from the postseason. It's it sucks to say it, but they the, this game right here is huge. Yeah, that's why we get to get got to get the upper hand and uh, and win this game. Although I do feel something along the lines of a Jeff Tool interception and Scott Chandler's frying pan hands are going to come back to bite us. Something like that, I think, is going to happen in this football game on Sunday. And I'm I'm trying to get mentally prepared for it. I want to make a note right now. Greg Trelone from our last podcast just sent us a tweet apologizing for falling asleep for a few hours and saying it was irresponsible and apologizing that he's not here to record with us. Greg, I just want you to know, buddy, we love you. Yeah, come back. You're willing. To, you're more than welcome anytime you're willing to show up. You have nothing to apologize for, brother. We love you. If anyone hasn't checked out his YouTube videos, it's G Trelone, T R O L O N E. Yeah, T O on YouTube. T O R. He does a weekly YouTube video. Go check it out. The next team up is the Texans, also sitting at five and five. Notice the trend here. This is another team that the Bills get to play. Houston's a hard team to figure out. I mean, they got thrashed by Atlanta. They get splashed by Miami for 44 points when Miami was still riding the new coach high. You know what I mean? You see, you see that a lot when a when a team is going over, you know, going through some kind of front office or organizational turnover. The players will respond for a week or two and put out some really solid performances. Miami beat up on a couple loser football teams and rolled into Buffalo thinking they were going to keep the train going, and we knocked the wheels right off of them. So the question is, who are they? You know, are they the team that just got embarrassed by Miami and Atlanta? Or are they the team that showed up on Monday Night Football and on the road sh- completely shut down the Cincinnati Bengals offense? I, I don't know. They're 25th in scoring and 29th in rushing yards. But they're 13th in total yards because they average 266 yards per game through the air. Think about that for a second. 266 yards per game passing. With uh, Ryan Mallett, (laughs) and now he's gone, and Brian Hoyer. And TJ Yates. That trio of unimpressing quarterbacks has put up 266 yards a game through the air. I mean, they're a team that we're going to find out who they really are coming up here quick because they've got New Orleans at home, Buffalo away, New England at home and Indy away in their next four games. At that point, they're either going to be a playoff. They're either going to be a division leading team or they're going to be in the basement. You got the Bills sitting behind the Texans at five and five. Unfortunately, our hopes rest on the shoulders of a beat up offense that just continues to accumulate injuries. Putting Craig Urbic at starting guard against the, f- the the front seven of the Kansas City Chiefs is not something that inspires any faith in me. I I hate it. I hate Craig Urbic. I want him gone next season. If we don't upgrade through the draft, I'll be beyond disappointed in this front office. The, on the, the flip side, our D seems to be coming to form. Like I said, I think Rex is finally getting used to how our defense plays. And who's good at what, what he can ask certain guys to do and what he can't, and things of that nature. And that's going to be the key to keeping us in this wildcard race. Our next four games are Kansas City, which is sixth in scoring, well, fifth. Houston, which is 25th in scoring. 
Philly, which is 15th in scoring, and Washington, which is in 20th. If our defense can come in and do their job, take care of business, our offense should hypothetically be able to come in and win at least three of those football games and give us a legitimate shot at this. I say you have to win all four. Because the, well, if you want to be solid about it, the yeah, you Dallas for game, it, the Dallas game, second to last week of the season, that's going to be a tough game if Romo is healthy enough to play. Pay attention here. Well, I'm paying attention. You're, I see your eyes wandering the TV that's over my shoulder. <laughs> then we've got the New York Jets. Again, another 5-5 five and five football team just stuck here. Everyone's riding each other's bumpers. The Jets should have consulted with somebody in the Bills' front office before they decided to make Fitzpatrick their starter for the season and then commit to him long-term. Somebody, somebody from, I think, ESPN New York wrote an article that they should re-sign Fitzmagic. <laughs> I would love it. You and I would celebrate the move. They piled up a winning record really early in this season while playing against weak teams. And then, just like Chan and Fitz always do, their inevitable decline kicked in and their record fell from 4-1. and one. You know, Think about that. Coming in after, after the bye, they were 4-1. You know, their one loss was a kind of a blowout, but they made it close at the end. I mean, they lost to Philly. Philly controlled the entire game. They scored a couple meaningless touchdowns and then just couldn't finish it off, kind of like us against the Patriots. Now they're 5-5. Five and five. They Teams are willing to let them run the ball when it doesn't matter and just watch Fitzpatrick throwing the ball. And his inaccuracy is eventually rounding into form here. People are forcing him to make tougher and tougher calls. <clears throat> also, the the relative unhealthiness of Nick Mangold this whole season hasn't helped him any. Because if you bring A-gap pressure at Ryan Fitzpatrick, we all know as Bills fans, he's not hes not suitable for that. He crumbles. They've got some tough games left. I mean, think about this. They have away games at Dallas and at Tennessee. And then they get to play at home against Miami and the Giants. I could, I could see them going one and three in that stretch. Yeah, even at the beginning of the season, you had had mentioned their their schedule after they had started four and one and looking at who they were playing, they were playing garbage. Mm-hmm. And now they are getting some teams with some talent and they're not no. They're not finding victories. And then that brings us to kind of the tail end of this group and it's the Raiders. I mean, they they started off so hot and now they're coming back to Earth. Their offense I mean, that offense looked unstoppable, but it's taken a monster nosedive as of late. 27 points a game. Think about that. They went 4-4 four and four and averaged 27 points a game. That's huge by NFL standards. Over their last two, two losses, they've averaged 13 and a half. And one of those games was to the, at the time, one, uh, what was it, two-win Detroit Lions? They might have one win, and that was their... No, two, because they had beat they, the they Packers. Beat Bay. That's why I said, I'm like, this is a game that... Yeah, what were you doing in 91 the last time Detroit won at <laughs> Green Bay? Is that when you puked on Daryl Talley in 91? No, I was like four when that happened. So, in, in reality, 91, I was in first grade. Because I was born in 85. Yeah, I was... I was chilling in second grade, Mrs. Mancuso's class, Boston Valley. <laughs> My teacher's name was Mrs. Gasky, and I'll never forget it because she gave me the book, Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs. <laughs> Little known fact. The fact is, is this football team has away, his games against Tennessee, Kansas City, Denver, Denver away, and then Green Bay at home. They need to figure their offense out or else they're not going to be in this race for much longer. If they continue to screw around, they're going to find themselves in the final group, which is the basement. Always remember, if you ain't first, you're last. I mean, there's not a whole lot to say about this group. The Jaguars are 4-6, and six, and yeah, their records are the same as the Raiders, but they're not the same team. Their defense is a punching bag if they're playing a competent offense. They don't let the Thursday Night Football wins, you know, <laughs> sway your opinion. They're... Uh, 
They're not good. The Dolphins are four and six. They've sustained way too many conference and division losses to really be relevant here. I think it's all the losses within the division that has killed their yeah their record. They just they're it's gonna be it's gonna be really tough for them to climb considering how many games in the division they've already lost. And then you've got the Ravens, who they're a team that I pegged as a potential danger this season. I thought that, you know, I was talking about it a few episodes ago about how they're a team that I needed to see lose a couple games here because I didn't want a team with a good quarterback to get hot down the stretch. But they've just been completely crippled by injuries. It just crucified. It's terrible. Think about it. This last week, they lose their starting quarterback and their starting running back in the same game. It's just... They don't have the firepower on either side of the ball to play spoiler to anybody. At this point, those games are starting to look more and more like gimmies on everyone else's schedule, which sucks. Bills Chiefs, everybody. Week 11 action. This is a game that the Bills now, because of the loss on Monday, desperately need to win in order to have a shot at the postseason. Regardless, before the season, this was a must-win game. You knew it coming into it. Even just for the psyche of our team, we have to be able to win these types of games on the road against teams that are probably going to... We knew coming into this that they were probably going to be in the mix with us. We have to win the conference conference games. That's what we didn't do last yeah. year, and it killed us. Yep. This is a game that you have to have. I wanted to take a look. Let's you know, I dug a little bit deeper into things, and I wanted to take a look at who is Kansas City. Yeah, are they Jekyll or are they Hyde? Because we've seen a little bit of both from them this season. I mean, you're talking about a team that started off 1-5, and five, and now they've won four in a row to earn a four, to earn a four and a five and five record and at some points they've looked dominant but how is it actually happening you know it's, obviously we're not chiefs fans so we don't sit back and look at each individual game we just see the box score and we see you know we see what the finals are we see the highlights at the show on ESPN i dug into the numbers and what i found is actually kind of interesting first off they pittsburgh okay their first win out of the run came against pittsburgh they beat Landry Jones in his first career road start. But they gave up 147 yards rushing in a game when you knew Pittsburgh was going to come in and run the football. You knew Pittsburgh was going to commit to the run in order to protect their young quarterback. I mean, the Kansas City came away with the W, but it was a field goal festival. Think about it. Both teams combined for five field, five made field goals in that game. And it was still close until late in the fourth. They beat Detroit in London. That game was a blowout from start to finish. But also take into account that they played at the time the worst team, the worst, I mean, the worst defense, the worst, arguably the worst offensive line in football. And they just pummeled Matt Stafford into submission with their pass rush. But if you look at the stats... Even after the beating he took, Matt Stafford's stats looked almost identical to Alex Smith's stats. They didn't do anything except win the they won the field position game, they kicked a ton of field goals, and they got a lot of big plays out of the running game. That's it. That's what, That was the story of that game. Alex Smith was nothing special. They're not going to have a lot from their running game against our defense if they play the way they did on Monday night. Well, think about this. Then you go into the game against Denver, okay? Everyone's talking about, oh, Kansas City beat Denver. But Peyton Manning was the story of the game. He threw four interceptions. The thing you look, again, you look at the box score and you say, oh, man, Kansas City's defense ate them alive. Peyton Manning was playing injured and threw four picks. They only scored two offensive touchdowns that game. They kicked five field goals. If you're playing, if you're playing a football team who turns the ball over a total of five times, two different quarterbacks throw five picks, you need to score more than two touchdowns. Another team that's more competent and more prepared for the scenario, they're not going to make that many mistakes, and they're not going to allow you to get that kind of field position. Think about this. Alex, Alex Smith went 17 of 31 for 54% and 197 yards passing. And in that 197 yards passing, one of those was an 80-yard pass. <laughs> in a game that it seemed like it was a blowout, Alex Smith was once again less than average. 
He's not a good quarterback. Don't let the final box score fool you. Does anyone else see a pattern starting to form here between all of these football games? They have a great defense. And their offense can get down to the 25 for a field goal. They can kick field goals, and they can run the football on an average level. Their quarterback does a subpar job of finding his wide receivers. Then they come into San Diego. They beat the Chargers, who are grossly undermanned both by injuries and just by ineptitude on both sides of the ball. San Diego only managed 201 total yards, both rushing and passing in this game. Kansas City scored a defensive touchdown, and then their third-string running back scored a pair of touchdowns super late when the game was over and the Chargers were already thinking about their ice baths and thinking about getting a steak dinner after it's over and what they're going to watch on TV. It was a blowout, but it wasn't a blowout until it was late in the game. Their offense failed to put its mark on the game in any kind of meaningful fashion. I mean, Don Tari Poe scored the only touchdown of the first half. Little hey, Sidebar here. Little known fact, Don Tari Poe this weekend became the nose tackle for the Kansas City Chiefs, became the third heaviest, heaviest player to score a touchdown in the NFL. The other two... Ted Washington and Sam Adams, both former Buffalo Bills. Just just, just thought I'd point that out. It was an awesome play. If anyone else saw it, you know what I'm talking about. They line up in an I formation, but instead of a fullback, they have Dontari Poe, their 360-something pound nose tackle. I saw it on TV. I was like, what the hell are they doing? And then they handed him the ball. I thought he was out there to pave the way. No one could stop him. (laughs) <laughs> he just, when are we going to try to put Marcel Darius back there to punch it in? That would be awesome to see. Right? That would be it awesome. It got me thinking, when are we going to put Marcel Darius in as a full <laughs> run the football? That would be awesome. Like Even at like the three and just run like a pitch play and, and get him going at like a corner so you can just straight up diesel him. <laughs> <laughs> Call me crazy, but just... If you listen to any of what I just said, this Kansas City team doesn't scare me as much as they probably should. But you know who does scare me? The Buffalo Bills. I'm already calling for something like the Jeff Tool pick to happen or the Bryce Brown fumble and Scott Chandler and his frying pan you think hands. We're gonna, or you think we're going to Bills ourselves on yes. this game? Yes. <laughs> so their last home loss came to Jay Cutler and the Chicago Bears who are far from an elite football team. Once again, I want to dig into the tape. I want to dig into the numbers. I want to see what it's all about. Think about this. The Chicago Bears defense, they've been, if anyone here plays fantasy football, you know that the Chicago Bears defense is a goldmine for any offensive player that you want that you want to put up numbers. They managed to hold Alex Smith 16 of 30, which is barely above 50% and 170 yards passing and kept all of their running backs out of the end zone. The Bills are going to have to try to replicate that strategy. We're going to commit to the run and just trust that our cornerbacks in man-to-man coverage can can hold those wide receivers in check. But in reality, they don't have any physically imposing wide receivers. Think about it. Jeremy Macklin's probably their best wide receiver. He's nothing special. And we've proven after this last game, proved that we can hold a tight end like Travis Kelsey in check. We can do it. There it is. I mean, think about this. Their offense uses a lot of slant passes and rub routes trying to, you know, they try to get yards after catch, and they throw shallow crossing routes. And I think that's why Alex Smith struggles to put up big numbers, because he's always looking to turn a little play into a big play, and it just doesn't happen because they don't have that – freak wide receiver. They don't have a Demarius Thomas. They don't have Antonio Brown. They don't have Des Bryant. So the guys that you're throwing the ball to, none of them are speedsters. I mean, Macklin's a solid receiver, but he's nothing. He's not a guy that I fear going into a football game like this. On offense, the Buffalo Bills are going to have to try. You have to. This is a game where we really could have used John Miller because we are going to have to run the ball because the pass rush that Kansas City brings to the table is real. Tom Bahali and Justin Houston are killing it this year. 
and they've proven that they can both be forces in the pass rush department. Are we going to see a lot of uh, Matthew Mulligan? Oh, Matthew Mulligan's going to have to be a part of this game plan. And in all honesty, I think we see a huge commitment from the Buffalo Bills offense to misdirection plays, trap blocking, screen passes, and just trying to keep Tyrod Taylor from being exposed to any unnecessary pressure. You know, you want to get the ball out, you're going to call a lot of screens. You're going to call, and it's going to be tough because their linebacking core and their safeties are no joke. I, they, that defense is legit. They have Eric Eric Berry's back, right? From his, you know what? That's a Eric Berry's been one of my favorite players. He is back and he's playing very well. The guy had lymphoma. He was a first round pick. He was one of my one of my favorite players in college. Coming into the NFL, he looked like he was building year after year after year, and then he got diagnosed with cancer. So to see the guy fight through that and come back and start to become the productive player that he used to be is awesome. I just hope that it, he doesn't kill us this week. In all honesty, I think our our path to offensive success in this game hinges on whether or not we can establish a running game, get a screen game going, and keep their defense honest when it comes to committing to the run. Because I'll tell you this, letting the pass rush pin their ears back is not a place that we want to be if we don't want to end up playing EJ Manuel by the end of the fourth quarter. What do you have for uh, the outcome for Sunday? You think the Bills got it, or are you going with Kansas City? I'm, I, I don't even know. That's the thing. I could go either way on this. I'm going to say I'm not even willing to commit to a score. I think the Bills pull it out with a late field goal. Dan Carpenter, you owe me one. <laughs> I'm going with Kansas City on this. I think Kansas City will win this game 21-17. to 21-17 you're calling. Yeah. I think something's going to happen. Who's going to score their touchdowns? For Kansas City? For Kansas City. There's three touchdowns. I think it's I find it interesting that you called it 21 because you're looking at three touchdowns when all I've done is outline <laughs> all of the reasons why they don't find the end zone. Exactly. That's because I think you'll get one from Travis Kelsey. Okay. And then I think the other two are going to come either defensively or special teams. All right. Well, you heard it here, folks. Chris Kruger is not a Bills fan. Boo that man! Boo this man! Sorry, I try try to keep it real. I have faith, guys. Don't worry. Don't don't worry. Before the season. You're talking about a guy who was willing to miss a Bills game because he was at a birthday party. Well, the game was on there. child's birthday party. We watched the game there. It was on. I saw a lot of it. None of you can see it, but I'm squinting at him. Mm. Yeah. I look like I look. I'm giving him the face (laughs) like I'm Samuel L. Jackson in Django Unchained. Yeah, sorry, that's when you get one of these on your finger, <laughs> it changes your life. He's talking about his wedding ring, folks. The yeah. guy's all wifed up. All wiped up. And He's Drew will be on his way to that very soon. Yeah, we'll see about that. Steps are going to be taken uh, and put in place here with what's happened to your apartment. You don't like living there. You're going to come live here. All right, and- folks, before he pushes me into a dimension of depression that I've never been in before... I want to take a few minutes before this is all over. I want to talk about something that's been bugging me. I know we make a lot about the state of officiating in the NFL today, and I know you hear about it. Everything you turn on, it's it. Everything you listen to complains about officiating and how bad the officials are and how many calls they blow. And to be honest, I get it. There's a human error element to everything. Okay, you, the, the the Patriots were face guarding all game, and they were, you know, the, to a point where, you know, they were blowing calls. The inadvertent whistle call that got botched during our game, the call that cost the Patriots a touchdown in our game. I get it. These are, you can tell me that there is a human error element to everything, a human error element, and I will believe you. But you show me a play like what happened to Case Keenum 
during the Rams during the Rams Ravens game. And at that point, I have to just throw my hands up in disgust and wonder what the hell the NFL is doing. Now, let's think about this. And, and I'm sure it's, it's widely publicized, so I'm sure by now you've all seen it. But you see a quarterback get slammed on his head after all of this concussion nonsense that they've the NFL's gone through and the fact that they're trying to show they've hired a, a, a person in every single game who's supposed to be a spotter for concussions or players who are injured and in distress but don't want to come off the field. The NFL has hired a guy whose sole purpose of being there at the stadium that day is to watch for guys who might be injured or concussed and to stop the game and make sure that they receive the proper medical attention. You see a player get slammed on the back of his head and then crawl around, unable to get to his feet under his own power. There's a line judge who missed it. There's a back judge who missed it. There's medical officials on the side who just somehow missed that this guy had his, he, that guy's clearly concussed. But I don't give a damn about any of that because you've got a paid official who's part of the NFL whose only job is to watch for this one play, this one specific instance, and somehow he missed it. And because of that, this guy stayed on the field for two more snaps and ends up fumbling the ball after being hit a second time, ends up fumbling the football, and it costs the Rams the game. What is going on with the state of the officials and just with the NFL as a whole? What you, the hell is this? Do you put any of it on like the team officials and team doctors for not even running out there? I put a lot of it on the teams and the team officials, but let's talk about this. It's been going on for decades. And because of that, teams are willing to let it go because the team wants to win the football game. The team doesn't care about that individual's safety. So the NFL has imposed, in order to kind of fake like they give a damn about these players, they've put one guy in charge of watching out for this stuff, and yet he somehow fails to do his job. That's the most egregious thing in the entire world to me. Your whole job revolves around this one thing, and then you leave this kid out there. It's, it's unforgivable. Well, Case Keenum's not going to have a he's not going to a player that's going to have a career in the NFL. So that might be something that he could I don't know if he could Well, and sue. that's my point. If he sues, what are you going to say to him? What are you going to say to Case Keenum when he turns around and sues you for his post-concussion syndromes? Syndrome. He can say, "Well, you know, you were supposed to protect me against this." That, that's your whole denial and, you know, your argument against, oh, well, you can't sue us because we're doing everything we can for the players. Who was watching out for him on that play? The, the kid didn't know where he was. And yet he's supposed, to, he's supposed to somehow know that he needs to come out of the game after taking a shot like that. And, in fact, a coach from the Rams team was actually on the field talking to him and let him go back out there. So, I mean, at some point you have to take it out of the player's hands and you got to take it out of the coach's hands. But that's this guy's job. And somehow he dropped the ball. So I don't care about the blown calls. They're going to happen. They've always happened. They'll continue to happen. But something like that is egregious. And I'll tell you, the pr everything they do, they talk about protecting the shield. Week after week, the NFL continues to damage its own brand. And they don't even realize it. I don't know. What do you think? Does anybody out there have an opinion on any of this? Does anybody want to get in the ring with me on it? A little Q&A sesh, a little Skype sesh. Somebody come at me with an opinion. Yeah, come talk to us on Twitter, at Rockpile Report. You can, also get up, you can also shoot us your opinions. We'll take them via Gmail. Our, rock, our rockpilereport716 at gmail.com is the address. I'll field any questions that are out there. And the best ones, we'll try to set up a Skype session or we'll get you on the phone and we'll record a little bit of it and we'll put it on the podcast. I want to talk to people. I want to hear what your opinion is. Yep. Rockpilereport.podbean.com for all of our future podcasts and uh, past podcasts you can download there. Games uh, 1 o'clock 
Sunday uh, on CBS, we get Kevin Harlan and um, Rich Gannon. His what? Color. No, no sp- Spiro Didis. <laughs> this is an outrage. <laughs> yeah, no. Sorry. I texted you that this morning. Yeah, no, no Spiro Didis. I've got to, I've heard enough. I got to get out of here. Folks, I appreciate you listening. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Krueger. And this is the Rock Pile Report. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.